it's important just to point your compass towards joy. And play like you, be like you, and don't overthink it. That's why I didn't wish you a happy birthday is because I was like, I was... Honestly, I get so many comparisons to Vinny already. I just don't need another one in your phone. Yeah, I mean, we were gonna. I was gonna uh, call you with him like on a three-way phone call and just kind of pick your brain about some stuff. Vinny was asking about. Like, Man, <laughs> yeah. I think that would be great. I, we can rope Eddie in and just be like, let's get some, let's get some pro advice on jazz. Before we get yeah. into our main topic, our guest today is Carter McLean. Carter, are you ready to play? Get to know Carter in under a minute. Oh my god. Here we go. Yes, let's do it. Quick fire questions. Some easy ones up front. Then they're going to get a bit more difficult. Starting off with sunrise or sunset? Sunset. California or New York? New York. Hot breakfast or cold breakfast? Hot. Movies in the theater or at home? Mm, uh, Theater. Watching sports at the game or at home? Neither. (laughs) <laughs> Things are about to get tougher. Cinch up your socks. Let's Buddy go. Rich or Max Roach? Max Roach all day. <laughs> Wood snare or metal snare? Hmm. Uh, metal. Okay, I was not prepared for that answer. Ride cymbal or hi-hats? You're taking one of yours to the gig, but only one. Oh, hi-hats. Vintage kit or new kit? New kit. Coated mm. or clear? Coated. Vinny or Dave? Vinny. Who's in worse shape? The Sacramento Kings or the New York Knicks? Zero idea. I'm not even sure what sport that is. No idea. <laughs> All right. I can tell you both of our local sports teams are terrible. All right, everybody. Welcome <laughs> Carter McLean to the show. Let's get rid of Carter. Eddie, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, mate. I feel like I know Carter way more now. It's, um, I, I, the theater one, I definitely don't agree with. Mate, I cannot stand hearing people eat food in the theater. Do you know what I mean? It is enough to ruin the entire experience for me. Luckily, the sound they serve- system is so banging in the theater. It's just, you know, mm. you can't hear anything. It's like a rock show in there now. Mate, <laughs> there was a guy, um, the last time we went to the cinema, it was to watch the newest Batman, actually. And we went after my stag dude. So there was like eight, eight of us. And some guy just after the advert that told you to get off your phone, picked up a phone call when he was on FaceTime. And all I could think was, you've got to be the baddest fucking guy in the world to do that and not care. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just like, oh, there's no way on earth I'm telling him to get off his phone. Like, he no. would just shoot me right now. Yeah, that won't um, end well for anybody. Yeah, I mean, if that, if somebody, if that screams, um, I'm the hardest man alive. If that doesn't scream that, I don't know what does. But yeah, I'm good, Mike. I'm good, mate. I'm just... Uh, just been playing drums, practicing, getting used okay, to logic so again. Let's get caught up though. Uh, cause I have, you know, obviously Mike'slessons.com. Carter launched his website. When did you relaunch the new website, Carter? Two two years ago, year and a half. I right, mean, I was so recording we were, it right when the everything shut down. So probably, yeah, year and a half. And if people want to go there, where do they find it? CarterMcLean.com. Yeah. Making it easy for you. But Eddie, the fire is back. Not the yep. fire we were talking about, the TikTok fire where people are playing in their living room and flames are shooting all over the video and it makes no sense at all. Yep. But the and real fire, the, uh, the internal fire is back. And it you is. are doing what? 
I am well I've just been recording lessons today for my for my new uh Patreon page which is launching on I've, I've aiming I'm aiming for Sunday I'm aiming oh, for Sunday oh, oh, oh. Um, yeah I've, it's mate, honestly it took me about 15 million takes to say hello to the camera this morning but I got there in the end so uh I'm excited man it's good it's, it's just yeah I've just like we were talking about last last week with procrastination like it's never normally just procrastinating, is it? There's always a, a valid reason why you're not doing something or haven't started something. And it's just now it just comes down to I want to do it. So it's just wicked, mate. I've come in, got a new mix, learning how to sort of learning the mix basics and then just shooting lessons, mate. So, yeah, it's good. What have you been up to today? I think it's like 8 a.m. where you are, isn't it? It is. Yeah, got yeah. here, edited a YouTube video um chopped up a bunch, a bunch of audio for this podcast got in a little practice swapped Oof. kits um i had um, so just a little bit <laughs> yeah just already jeez full day's <laughs> worth of work um but yeah swapped kits uh because i've got a camp starting on uh the campers get here sunday morning and then tonight even though this podcast will go out after so it's definitely not promotion Tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. West Coast time, I'm doing a live 90-minute masterclass on Long and McQuaid's YouTube channel. So that's like Tomon for you, Eddie. It's oh, okay, cool. It's Canada's Tomon or Canada's Sweetwater. Um, so doing a 90-minute ma- masterclass on that. And that's been kind of tough because I know the topic I want to teach, but that topic is also part of my camp curriculum. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to... I don't want anyone that's coming to camp to be able to watch this and then go, oh, we know what he's teaching at camp. So I had to kind of invent all new material for it. Amazing. Um, yeah, man. So Great. Fair you guys fair. are well, busy bees. I know, mate. I, it, it always surprises me like when Mike uh, does so much in the hours of like 6 a.m. to 8 8 a.m. There, there, there mustn't be anyone on the planet more productive than people, someone in the morning than Mike. It's un- unbelievable, mate. I, you know where that comes from. I remember, and <laughs> Carter, you'll probably remember this because it was a, it was a very U.S. thing. Um, <sighs> but you know how we like to brag about uh, destruction and, and our military and stuff. Um, and I just remember those army commercials from when I was a kid. That it was like, you know, the U.S. Army. We get more done by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. And I was like, well, I'm not joining the army, but I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that'll so. wake you up for sure. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, totally. It was, it was basically like it was the U.S. government's bitch slap to lazy musicians. It was like, you're not even awake. Yeah. <laughs> We've literally I've built, built a, a house bridge already. in Nigeria. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, play, man. So, I, mean, I was so slacking anyways. last week, but you know, I, I was fairly productive last week. This week is birthday week, so it's a pass. Exactly. A hundred percent. Yeah. Contact me mid-October. I'll be sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Uh, Well, we have a lot to get to today. Uh, Also, real quick, before we jump into our main topic, what is jazz? We are announcing our camp dates. So Eddie and I have a camp coming up that is on September 16th, 17th and 18th. So basically, Campers, you will arrive on September Thursday, September 15th. The camp is the 16th, 17th, and 18th. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then you will go home on Monday the 19th. So if you want to be a part of that camp and you are hearing this now, you need to contact Amber at Mike'sLessons.com. Amber at Mike'sLessons.com to get signed up. Um, it's going to be a blast and... We would love to see you there. Now, the Patreons did get first dibs. So if you email Amber and it's already sold out, 
maybe you should have been a Patreon. Just saying. It's there just, you go. It's not, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm not saying. I'm just saying. You know what I mean? Like, just just sign up. Just get it done. Don't miss just out. Stop missing out. Just God. pull the car over. Get on Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash drum with Mike. Thank you, Carter. I mean, come on. We're not asking <laughs> for much. Step up to the plate. Take a nice, easy swing. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. All right. Let's dive into our main topic, which is what is jazz? And this came from basically the idea that I have said a lot of times publicly, like I'm not a fan of jazz, but it's not really true because my favorite genre of music is jazz. It's just maybe not what most people think of when they think of jazz. Um, a lot of my current drumming style is jazz vocabulary played as straight 16th notes, jazz independence played as straight 16th notes, and a lot of improvisation and reoccurring motifs or anchors that are holding the whole thing together. So to say I don't like jazz is definitely an incorrect statement. Um, and then I know that Eddie went to Steve White for a couple jazz lessons, started getting introduced to it. And I thought this would be a great time to bring Carter on and just talk about what is jazz. Cause I think it's pretty easy to define what isn't jazz. You know, we can go to a Slipknot concert and if what they play the song note for note, the way it is on the album, I would say that's probably not jazz. Um, if we went to a Brooks and Dunn concert and it was absolutely amazing, I would say that's not jazz. It's just country pop country rock and so it's kind of easy sometimes to say what isn't but it's not always easy to say what is so carter first question for you give me a couple things that kind of define what jazz is if you can i know it's an art form so it's a tiny bit ambiguous yeah i mean one word to me that sums it up is because like we're all having trouble defining what jazz is so to me to sum it up, it's like jazz is change. So, I mean, what Miles and like Duke Ellington and all those guys were playing back in the day, that was jazz at the time. But now you look at jazz and it really has no resemblance to ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding. Um, and so I was thinking about it today when I was walking around. I'm like, jazz is change. That That sums it up to me because it's constantly moving like just with Miles alone, he changed his sound like seven times, you know, and all of it was considered jazz. Even the stuff at the end when it was like programmed drums with Marcus Miller producing the stuff, there was it was a lot of programmed kind of like sample sounds. There wasn't, you know, it wasn't Elvin playing. Right. But that was a jazz record, quote unquote. Um, and then a lot of the more modern stuff doesn't really resemble what, you know, you think of as jazz. But that's what it is now. Like, I just went on title and looked up. There's a jazz category, and then a subcategory is future jazz. Ooh. And there's all this, you know, all these bands that I've never, I mean, I've heard of a bunch of them, but there's like, you know, High Pulp, um, Hiatus Coyote. My, yeah. Actually, my buddy Marco Benevento's on here, which is funny. Nicholas Payton. Um, and most of this stuff, if you hit play, has a backbeat. Mm, or mm. some kind of a backbeat where typically in jazz you can think of the hi-hat almost as the backbeat on two and four you know but then you mm. listen to Dijonette play there's no two and four happening it's just open yeah you know but i would say to sum it up jazz to me equals change good answer yeah. mate for me jazz the one thing that i've always struggled with with jazz um is i've always 
especially when I was younger and just started out and when my drum teacher used to sit me down and we used to try the jazz basics, I was always thinking like, how can I use this though? It's so different and I, I'm not a fan of jazz music, especially back then. So how can I use it? And I think even having that one lesson with Steve White, man, I mean, within 15 seconds, I was like, whoa, my, I am, my independence is shocking. My, I don't know what I'm doing with my left hand, my left foot. I've never used my left foot this way. I never even used my left foot for the majority of my playing career, mate. I mean, it was always on the double bass pedal. It was constantly open. So for me, and um, I think for a lot of people listening to this, um, I, I had a question for you, which I think they would want to hear and I would want to hear. Um, I do want to hear, that's why I'm asking it. But um, what are the things in jazz that help you in other genres? This is for me. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say, I mean, for me, it's funny. I would say, you know, 70% of the music I listen to is quote unquote jazz. Could be modern jazz, could be, you know, could be Tane Watts, it could be Elvin, it could be Max, it could be Jack DeJanette, it could be Idris Muhammad, whoever. All of that stuff translates almost directly, if you want, to funk and groove music, because a lot of the feel in funk music. I mean, and also, again, like funk is like this super wide category. It could be like Shaka Khan or it could be like the meters or Gap Band. And they're all very different sounds. Um, but all of that vocabulary of like you were saying, just having independence with your like maybe your left foot on a hi hat or how your left hand is interacting with your left foot. When you start playing straight ahead stuff and more funky, I'm not going to say linear stuff, but like maybe like Mike Clark kind of thing on like flood or thrust, your left side of your body is way more interactive now. Like when you're playing rock stuff, it's all right hand lead for the most part, right foot dominant all the time. And then your left hand is just kind of hanging playing two and four where when you're switching it up, now your left foot and your left hand are equal, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's like a more of a balance there. So, you could take a ding jig 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 a ding and add a backbeat in and now you've got a funk kind of soul thing they're very interchangeable to me yeah do you think man do you think because the way that we went from the big band era into the bop era it wasn't at that time no one started playing bop they they were professional musicians that needed an outlet and went to the clubs and then this new genre was born. Do you think in the early funk days, especially when everyone was trying to get into James's band and then those offshoots were becoming the gap band were becoming, you know, P funk, all that stuff. Do you think probably just like early rock and roll, all the early funk drummers must have had a background in jazz because funk didn't exist before jazz. So they grew, they must've grown up playing jazz and then brought that swing and that feel to whether it be new Orleans or New York or the South. Yeah, I think so. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, it, it also is very dependent on when you were born. Right. Right. So yeah. it's like, like you're saying, like if you were born in the, like the late forties and you're growing up with music in the fifties, there's not, you know, there's not a lot of funk happening in the 50s. <laughs> it just hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> so yeah, guys are doing their brushes and they're playing their like kick snare ride, you know, hi-hat kind of set up at, at big band gigs and stuff. Um, so yeah, there's no way you could have gotten around that. 
You know, it's like right. if you grew up in the 80s and said, oh, yeah, I, I did, I've never heard of pop music before. You know, it's right. just like, well, it's in your face on every commercial and everything you do. Every time you were in the grocery store, you heard it. You know, yeah, it's it like there. Tears for Fears again. Like you <laughs> right. can't ignore it. You know, absolutely. Um, the funny thing is, one of the clips I sent you is Idris Muhammad playing drums on that Schofield tune. And he's one of my favorite drummers. And the first gig I got in New York with Melvin Sparks, he was supposed to do this record with Melvin and he couldn't make the date. So Melvin asked me to do the the hit. And that was the first recording I ever did in New York, which was amazing. Wow. Um, and it's a cool record. But that record is straight funk, but it's all jazz vocabulary as far as the chord progressions and harmonies and everything. Um, and if you listen to Idris, you hear all this jazz kind of vocabulary, but he doesn't consider, he didn't consider himself a jazz drummer. He was like, I'm a groove player, but all these jazz guys want to hire me because I have this New Orleans feel. So it swung. So and this is on the tune peculiar. Pecu oh, that's a rough word. Peculiar. peculiar. Yeah. All right. Well, let's one let's in the take morning. a listen to it. <laughs> pretty filthy Bobby. <clears throat> i like it and that's a tough thing to like that's a perfect example of so is this jazz is this not jazz it it's not ding jing ding jing ding jing ding it has a backbeat it has a it has more of a new orleans drum set feel than anything else but then as soon as sco comes in you just kind of hear that oh like that's jazz and it's like is it like okay yeah that's why i picked that it's it's it that feel, especially that whole record, is called Groovelation, and I would recommend everybody check that record out. It's by John Schofield, and it's one of my favorite records, and it really showcases Idris on almost every tune. And there's some super funky stuff going on on that record that's really subtle. But if you listen to that feel, it's all on the upbeats. Yeah. Cha. And you if could you easily that, put a jazz ride pattern there, and it would, and this, and the song would still cook. And you could go do that, So you could, depending on what you want to do, you could turn the dial towards straight or swung. You could literally play like a salsa group. And this is what I was saying about why the word jazz to me just translates as just change because it's constantly a flow. Like when I when I was touring with Charlie, yeah, like the start of the tune might have been almost like a shuffly kind of thing. And by the end of the tune, it could have been just like a straight 16th funk thing we got into. Mm. And it's, it's just about being comfortable with that and going with it in the moment that that to me is also about jazz is not saying, okay, I have to lay this down for the next six minutes. So the horn section can blow, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's way more open and that's it's, the fun part of it. It's actually quite interesting, isn't it? Cause like when I used to think about jazz, I always used to think about rules. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Like, Oh, you have to do this. And then this is jazz. This is, and this isn't, but actually hearing you just talk then, it actually seems like the opposite. It seems like the most punk rock genre there is, where you can just do whatever the fuck you want, basically. And you take it wherever you want. Do you know what I mean? 
hundred percent. That's why I love like when I sit down and play, I may just play just just solo drums, but I might start with a feel like that last tune and it may end up in like a James Brown pocket at the end, mm. you know, where it's just yeah. strict sixteenths, backbeat, kick, simple parts. Cause again, it's like whatever you're singing in your head or, or if you have a bass line or you're playing keys in your head, you know, I was just playing Rhodes before we started and I was about to start recording the tune. And it's like, you got to follow the music first, you know, and mm -hmm. whatever you're playing on the drums should accompany whatever the other musicians are doing. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right. So I have a, uh, I'm going to play a track uh, for Eddie. Okay. And I just want to know, your opinion, not whether or not this is jazz. Um, this has a very, very obvious two and four backbeat, slow groove, but just kind of would love to hear your opinion on it. Okay. <clears throat> See that's a that's a bit of me. I like that. That's I like a bit that a lot. Me. That's a bit of me. Yeah, I can do that. So the only thing that screams yeah. out jazz for me is the, all the other instruments apart from drums. Basically, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's definitely like um, you know a sound of instruments that can change things. I mean, if you listen to um, oh god, uh, it's got a song called Vadavar Vadavar. Um, Tigran Hamasan. Okay. It's literally animals as leaders. It just <laughs> is in a piano trio. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's it's all odd groupings. And to me, like that, when I hear Brad playing that piano line, uh, and for any of those listening that don't know, that's Brad Maldo, and that song is called When It Rains. That piano line, I mean, that's a vocal line. That's not mm -hmm. piano improvisation throwing heat. That's a vocal line. It's very spaced out. But is it jazz? Like it's got a pocket. I mean, Carter, what are your thoughts on a song like that? I mean, it's funny. I knew that was Brad from like two notes in. I'm like, that's right. Melda. <laughs> I just saw him live uh, two weeks ago with Blade, Christian McBride, and Joshua oh. Redman. Oh. Pretty good. Pretty good quartet. Yeah. Decent. Decent. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Like I was saying before, like I feel like the word jazz now is like this. It's not. It's such a wide range where like like even if you say you know rock that is such a wide like everything yeah. is spread yeah, so much farther apart now like right. rock used to be like elvis that's rock and roll or yeah. chuck berry that's rock and roll now it's like could be anything you know it somebody could be might chuck think, berry but it could be slipknot or yeah it could be gojira it's like yeah. okay you know, um, and jazz, like the other song I, I sent you with the vocal is similar kind of a vibe. That's that's a jazz artist, quote unquote. But, you know, that to me is like a singer songwriter record. Mm -hmm. Let's check it out. Um, Answer really 
afraid someday you'll leave me Saying can we still be friends If you go you know you'll grieve me So mm. in something like that I mean what stands out is the approach to the instruments like I feel like whoever is playing drums on that can play jazz what i would consider to be like straight ahead you know mm-hmm. um right. because of the approach it doesn't sound like uh, you know it had like a bossa feel but it didn't sound brazilian it didn't sound like a metal drummer trying to play with brushes for the first time mm-hmm. yeah i mean that that he's playing like 16th on the snare with a brush i think um and the uh, drummer's name is Earl Harvin, just okay. just to give the guy some props because he sounds amazing on that record. And Blade, I think, is on a couple of her other albums. But that reminded me of this conversation I had. So that style, right? Vocal jazz has been around for a long time. But like I, I, when I was in high school, I played with Nora Jones before she was Nora Jones. She was the piano player in our big band. Oh, my God. And I went to this arts academy called Interlochen uh, Arts Academy in Michigan for a summer. And it was super magical place. Everybody there was like so focused. And I remember when I hooked up, I remember meeting back up with Nora when I moved back to New York. She was in the city about a year before me in 2001. And I was like, hey, what are you up to? And she's like, oh, I'm just doing this new record. And I was like, oh, cool. I know you were singing a little bit last time we were hanging. What is it? She's like, oh, it's like a country jazz record. And I remember thinking in my head like, man, that's going to be horrible. Like, what is country <laughs> jazz? Like, you know, because like that genre kind of wasn't a thing until Come right. Away With Me came out that record. And then I realized, I said, well, who's, you know, who are you getting on the record? And she's just like, oh, this guy, Brian Blade and Bill Frizzell and uh, this boyfriend of mine is playing bass. I was like, whoa, okay. And then, you know, fast forward six months later, she's got like eight Grammys in her hand. Right. Wow. But and, that's and jazz, I guess. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I think that that's what this I'm hoping this episode will do, especially for our listeners that maybe just grew up playing mostly rock or mostly funk or even, you know, country, anything other than jazz and maybe shunned it because of thinking jazz was only straight ahead. To me, jazz, it breathes. It has room to breathe. It doesn't mean that it's full on avant garde art that's constant improvisation, but I do think that it's like, in like a pop tune, I might note for note have a groove that needs to be played. Like, Eddie, I can't imagine you were playing with Dua Lipa and you're like, you know what? I'm feeling a little 7-8 today. Like, you can't just... <laughs> I, never feel, I never feel like I'm in that mood, mate, to be honest with you. The choreographers I'm, I'm a, are just going to be broken ankles immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be an absolute heart attack on stage, man. Um, but man, I, had a, I had a question, actually, something you just said a minute ago about that record we just listened to. You said, oh, he sounds really good on this record. And what I find really interesting about that, you never hear that said about any other genre. Because sadly, in rock, even if it isn't triggered, it's going to be messed with a bunch. And when people say, oh, that person sounds good on this record, in mostly every other genre, they're talking about parts or that feel was good, or that groove is good. With jazz, what is it like recording a jazz song or a jazz album? Because it sounds terrifying, because it sounds like, from my point of view, it's one take. There's not really much going on when it comes to sort of like sprinkling 
you know, spiciness on top. There's not much going on apart from a couple of mics and playing. And that's what it comes down to. And that's, it's just interesting how you say, oh, they sound good on this record because I've never really thought about it like that. But is it literally down to the 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 bare minimum the just the the basics of just like like laying a good beat down and playing well at the source and nothing else is on top oh yeah i mean a hundred percent that's why i love list that's why most of my listening is in that genre because i look i love pop music i love classical music i try to listen to just about anything that's done at a like a high level it's going to be good typically but there's this very organic, breathable thing in that genre, and you can hear everything. And it's usually like some of my favorite records, there might be three or four mics for the whole band in a studio. Like Elvin gets a mic kind of near his drums. That's it. So it's all on the musicians to deliver a performance. There's no like, oh, we'll go back and cut in those four bars. Like that, if you said that on a, on a, on a straight ahead session, you would get laughed out of town and never called again. <laughs> straight up wow i mean so what's your experience been like like re recording sort of jazz or jazzy sort of music is it quite literally do your homework before you get in sit down get in the right vibe and then just do it 100 percent. yeah i mean it's it's kind of understood and look i'm gonna preface this by saying i'm not on like a ton of blue note ripping jazz records in new york but like I've done a bunch of stuff recording with Charlie and some of my own stuff hiring people for my last record is kind of maybe jazz-ish. And most of the time, it's one or two takes. I mean, Charlie was very kind of adamant about that stuff when we were tracking here. He was like, no click. If we don't get it within three takes, we're moving on. We don't, we're not going to play anything else. Like, the, if, if you can't get it in one or two takes, basically, we're not doing the tune. And so there's a pressure there to deliver because when you do it more than that, you lose that magic and the spontaneity of it. And then it just mm. becomes like a, you're trying to put a square in a circle or something. It's just not going to work. Yeah. Man. Wow. Interesting, man. Interesting. And I mean, yeah. the other thing too, to think about, I remember, um, I think it was Sput. We were in Ireland doing the 21 drums camp. I think Sput, what was it? Snarky was going to do some of the soundtrack for a upcoming Miles Davis movie. Maybe it was the one with Don Cheadle. I don't remember, but he had a bunch of Miles stuff. And he had stems from early Miles sessions and he brought them in and we got to hear that it was just me, Mark, um, Sput, and that might have been it actually. And so anyways, he's playing the stems, but we're hearing, you know, Herbie and just him playing piano or um, I don't know if it was Ron Carter on bass or whoever, but we're only hearing their track, but you can hear the drums like you can hear Tony very loud in the piano mic and on the bass and on, you know, even on Miles's trumpet. So you can't cut in. <laughs> like, yeah, you're bleeding yeah. into all the mics. There is no yeah. cutting in. And the other thing is, if you're on drums and you're on Miles's album or anyone's album, doesn't matter who it is. Well, what if their take is killing? They're more important than you at this moment. So you can't you can't ever let up, right? Yeah, well, this is a funny, and it's totally true. This is a funny quick side note. So, like, uh, you know, the famous record, Kind of Blue, right? Yep. So, so what? Right? So, um, Jimmy Cobb is on that, right? So, he's playing uh, brushes at the top, basically. 
And the first, I read an interview with him, the first time he hits a crack or it's a ride with a rivet in it with his brush, he goes, yeah, man, I love everything I did on that record, except for the first ride cymbal hit I did with the brush was just way too loud. And it irked him for like his whole life. Wow. Um, but there's no do-over. It's like, that's the take, man. There was magic in that whole thing. Wow. And you got to live with that. He was probably pulling his hair out, you know, but. It's such an epic <laughs> album, and you can, can hear s- all the space of every instrument. You can hear the room. I can see him trying to influence Miles. Be like, "Are you are you sure your intonation was right? Are you sure you don't want to do it one more time?" <laughs> that it first chorus is whack, Miles. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a, a dick, but honestly, I've heard you play better. Let's do it again, wow. just so I can nail that first hit. All right, let's take a listen to another. Uh, you were just mentioning so what? You sent me a a, a so what clip, yeah. Or uh, no. I think so. Oh, uh, this is live from the plug nickel with Miles, and this is I was going to say, because this sounds nothing like so what off of... No, uh, I know, but uh, to Eddie's point before you hit play, Eddie yeah. was saying um, that, you know, he was like, well, that's jazz could be maybe kind of the most punk rock thing, because it is so, like, open and just fuck it, play whatever you want, beat the shit out of the cymbals if you want. This is a very good representation of that band. This is at a small club live at the plug nickel, and it's Tony Williams on drums. I think he's 18 years old on this. Wow, oh, God. Let's check it out. Okay, so that's what is so confusing to people that aren't into <laughs> jazz about jazz. It's like, but I thought the hi-hat was supposed to be on two and four. Tony yeah. was like, I'll give you three of them. You get a two, a four, a two, and I'm out. And then, yeah. I mean, you hear him like literally just bombastically going through his symbols. And it's like, it's it's everything that Eddie said. That is pure punk rock. Mate, that trumpet player was on some vibe, mate. <laughs> what was he... <laughs> <laughs> I love Eddie's response. To oh that my track. god, mate! I just loved it. It was just like, okay, go on, go on, mate, go go for it. Um, but yeah, it's punk rock, mate. I mean, how do you even get to that point? Like, what what are like the things they're playing? Like in rock music, you know, you can go, you can sort of talk through. Oh, that's probably just like a, I don't know, like a variation of a paradiddle, or like it's this chop, three on the hands, two on the feet, or whatever it may be. What 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 is going on there? What are the foundations of that? I'll, I'll tell you. Well, Mike could probably dissect it in a much cleaner way. But for my, my answer would be the last thing Tony is thinking about is f- any kind of fucking rudiment. That shit is thrown completely in the trash. Like he, his hands were so blazing at that point. He's just thinking about phrasing and he's just whatever's coming out. A lot of his stuff, though, is singles. I mean, he played a lot of stuff with singles. I mean, I've seen him just do a, a single stroke roll really quietly behind like an entire piano solo that Herbie's doing. But like wow. whisper quiet singles just ripping. 
and then he'll he'll adjust the dynamics, but he won't go away from a single stroke role. But he's not thinking, I'm going to do a single stroke role. He's thinking of a sound and and singles or doubles, however you want to do it, is the that's how it's going to come out. Um, All right. And I think people get caught up in that yeah, whole definitely. sticking situation. Definitely. Like when you're learning jazz, cool. Ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding, jigga, ding. Right? It's hi hat and, and ride cymbal. There's no drums. You could just go to a straight ahead gig with a hi hat and a ride cymbal and be good, basically. You know, but then it's all that interaction that he's doing between the kick and the snare that's playing off of what Herbie's rhythmic stuff is. Poor Ron Carter, man. Just ding, 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 ding. I mean, that is ripping and he's probably going to do that for 10 minutes straight minimum yeah and then like now you take a solo ron and he's just like dude i've been soloing the whole damn time (laughs) my foot's been on the gas for 10 minutes wow my solo is going to be whole notes yeah uh yeah i mean that that stuff is just it's beautiful it's punk rock like eddie said it's expression and, and I think that that song was great because I think that people that dip their toe in jazz think of Miles with space. They think of cool jazz. They think of, you know, walking out on stage. Seven minutes later, he goes, and then he kind of paces and goes back and forth a little bit. So it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of cool to hear something like that and remember, oh yeah, that dude was a serious badass. Oh man, that that era for me is, and if people want to really dive into an album and just be like, what's the record? Uh, it's a double record called, it's Miles Davis, My Funny Valentine, Four and More. My and funny Valentine. that's a live concert. Uh, and there's a fun story behind it, but I'm not going to get into it now. Somebody can message me if they want to hear the story behind, uh, <laughs> backstage before they went on stage, what happened. And it explains why they play their asses off. Um, That's how we get Carter back for another episode. You yeah, guys just have to, you have to hit us up on the Patreon page. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that that would be the record I would check out because you can hear Tony so clearly. It's unbelievable. Yeah. You can hear every cymbal hit. I've listened to that record, no shit, probably over a thousand times. Wow. Easily. Oh, okay, and I think that car. gives us all a good place to start. Now, getting into or getting back to the blurred lines of what jazz is, I wanted to introduce people to a drummer they may not know um, named Terry Angoli, who I just think has a very um, crystal clear sound. He plays, to use Carter's word from his first appearance on here, he plays with a lot of intent. There is jazz vocabulary there for sure, but... I know that sometimes there can also be a problem a little bit for some people, and I would include myself in that, where some of this material comes from an era where the recording obviously wasn't up to today's standards. And sometimes it's just hard to hear. I think in the long run, that's better for you to not have it all spelled out for you, to have to use your imagination. But you can still hear jazz vocabulary, odd time signatures. And I'm kind of using this track for the people that are a little bit more into maybe some prog into metal uh this song is called tanktified it's by blackout and stefan harris and it's in seven eight but it's a beautiful way to get used to seven eight there's i mean inside this little 40 second clip i'm going to show you you'll hear odd time signatures you'll hear a ton of texture and ghost notes and accents and you'll also hear some metric modulation and anytime i've ever taught metric modulation or implied metric modulation people say but you can never use that. And I always say, that is a lie. Stop saying that. You can't use it with Britney. I do agree, but (laughs) you can use it. It just has to be that 
like grooves don't get people fired. Choices get people fired. Make good choices. So here is some good choices being made. snare tone oh my god i was just about to say mate it's crazy what a good snare t- snare tone can do for me mate i just want to listen to that immediately that's so a nice, nice recording too yeah very yeah, nice. really beautiful but i think that's a a great example of if when i have a, a student that's like oh, i'm just really into you know animals as leaders and periphery but i just hate jazz i'm like slow down <laughs> we can find something for you you know we can we can cultivate that prog brain of yours and we can find something that was probably an influence to your heroes. I mean, that's the thing, too, is sometimes you're idolizing somebody, but you never got a chance to ask them what they listened to growing up. And it's like, well, maybe they were listening to this stuff or Return to Forever or Chick Corea Electric Band or something. Like, they didn't just find a guitar at GC and be like, Prague now. Like, it doesn't start that way. You have to have influences. Uh so I, I love I love everything about Terion's playing. I love everything about his tuning and his cymbal choices. And I'm like, what are those ten inch hi hats? What's going on over there? Is that a <laughs> yeah? Stacker? That's a straight up hip hop sounding drum kit. Straight up, sounds beautiful. Yeah, you know, yeah, and they're that could have easily been Chris Dave stuff. on that or Quest, oh, yeah. and it's just killing. Um, and one last one to for those that need the backbeat and just some texture. And I've always. Um, just loved how it sounds like there could be five different sets of hi-hats on this album. This is a track called Losing Track of Daytime by Donnie McCaslin with the great Mark Juliana on drums. I guess I didn't oh, fade that one out. <laughs> Just cut that off. <laughs> is that Lefebvre on bass? It is. And it's like, it's like a damn bass solo with this beautiful horn part. It's incredible. Tim's so good, man. Oh. I used to see him all the time, like every weekend in New York City with 55 Bar. And he's just such a stud on the bass. It seems like he New seems York's like the place to... seems like a very kind human being. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut it's, you off. Go ahead. No, no, it's all good, mate. Um, it seems like New York's the place to be for jazz. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like, well, I don't know. There was, you know, even back in the day, there was the West Coast jazz movement and the East Coast jazz thing. And I mean, I think it's true. Like, in general, most people that want to move to the city want to be the next, you know, Tane or Elvin or whatever. And, you know, nobody's really moving to Nashville to become the next, you know, Tane um, or really L.A. Like, there's kind of specific zones like. LA is kind of like, cool. You want to pop, you don't want to tour with a big pop artist, go to LA. You want to do like, you know, tour with a big country artist and do some more studio stuff, go to Nashville. You want to do Broadway and jazz shit, go to New York. Do you think that has to do a little bit with just the, and I don't know about obviously post COVID, but do you think that has a little bit to do with the club scene itself? Like if there's nowhere to play a specific genre, then how would you meet those musicians to get into that scene? Yeah, I 100%. And I apologize for my dog Watson in the background, if you can hear that. He's 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 into it. But I can't imagine that (laughs) New York, and I I mean, I I don't know the scene there very well, but I can't imagine you guys have the same amount of country bars as Nashville does. So why would a country guy go to make it in New York? Exactly. Like, And the funny thing is, I almost moved to Nashville. I mean, this was whatever, year 2000, I was looking at moving. So I was like, Nashville or New York for me, basically. And I went down and lived in Nashville for a week just to like really check it out because you don't really know in a day or two. And I kept asking everybody. So like, you know, I know it's mostly country music and they're like, no, 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 no. We've got jazz and funk and da, da, da. And I literally was talking to this musician. I go, cool. So like, where can I see a great straight ahead gig tonight? And he was like, well, there's all these country artists playing tonight. And I was like, that summed it up for me. I was like, I'm out. Like literally that was, that was when I said, cool, I'm going to just move to New York. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's supply and demand. If there's a hundred country bars and one jazz bar and you want to be a country drummer, maybe you go to that town yeah. and vice versa. There's no Broadway scene anywhere else in the country besides New York. Yeah. So if you wanted to do, bro- I mean, that's not why I moved to the city, but you know, that's what I've ended up doing and I couldn't live anywhere else. Even if I wanted to move back to California or whatever, that's what I'd have to, you know, I'd have to give up that kind of a career. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I saw, I was in Nashville and um, got invited by, I mean, if you two know my obsession with Phil and Genesis and all that, but got invited by Chester Thompson to go see him play in his jazz group, um, little quartet. And I was like, Oh my God, the drummer from Genesis just invited me. Yes, I'm in. And I was in Nashville. So I go to this place and it's packed. I mean, it is slammed line out the door so I'm waiting and, you know, I'm on the guest list, get in. And I'm like, oh, my God, like jazz is popping in Nashville. No, it's not. That's for the country artist that's playing the main floor. We go downstairs <laughs> into the basement. There's like three tables <laughs> and it's just me and like eight other people. And we want and it was a killer show. But I was like, OK, that's that's where jazz stacks up in this town. Um, and so I think that location is key if you're trying to break into a scene and uh and definitely with you know jazz i think new york is still the place for not just jazz but you know creativity i think artists see new york a certain way um and when you're around creative people whether it's photography videography skateboard it doesn't matter if you're being creative like you know you need to be surrounded by creative people you need to be encouraged you need to see success stories and like oh yeah well you know Jim's the same age as I am and he's making it. So I guess maybe it is possible to do this. Mm. And I do think just to add to that, the energy of New York, I mean, 
Eddie, you've been to the city, yeah? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I want. I can't so, wait to come back, man. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's a real, there is a vibe to you know put it, you know, and it's hard. It's not an easy place to survive and make a living, and that comes out in your playing. Like when you do get frustrated, or you're having a bad month, or you're not making it, you know, financially, and you're just losing your mind, you might go to a gig and un- unleash that on the poor kid, and that's also what I love about the city is that you can tell kind of when people have lived in New York for a while in their plane, you can hear it. There's a frustration and a release to, to both sides of it. Is, that, yeah, man. is there a lot of just get up and play and just go to these places and play or, or is that not a thing? Like open mic nights sort of jams and is that a yeah, thing? Yeah, there's a few of those, but mostly it's like, you know, this is a funny quick story the first gig i ever sat in in new york and this is kind of why i threw my hands up i was like i'm not gonna focus on being a jazz drummer anymore (laughs) not that i ever focused on it but i kind of was slapped heartily across the face (laughs) in new york city uh a friend of mine donald edwards when i first moved to the city who's a great straight ahead player was like oh man you should come sit in at this uh, club triad tonight my buddy's got like a band and you should go play he's like you sound great i'm like okay cool Little do I know, it's Jeff Tane Watts's band, and he's playing drums. And I walk in, and I look at Tane, and I go, dude, there is no fucking way I'm going on that stage or anywhere near it. I told him that as soon as I walked in, and he just started laughing. He's like, oh, we'll get you up there. And I'm like, I sat as far away from the stage as possible. How old were you at this time? 22. Okay. You know, and I just moved to the city. So a year before I was living in Colorado, like watching videos of him and just like jaws on the floor. And then I'm in a room with him and and my buddy's like, yeah, you're going to go play. No way. (laughs) So I was convinced I was just going to listen. Then they take a break. They're about to go back up for second set. And my buddy Donald goes, all right, Bo, you're up. And I was like, no, that's not happening. He literally and Donald's kind of like a big dude. He just pushed me onto the stage like a little kid. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And I sat down behind the drums. And then all of a sudden, a different piano player. Uh, the the first guy was David Budway, who's a monster. And Paul Bolenbach was on guitar. And this other piano player sits in. He goes, uh, says some song. I couldn't even hear him. He's like, one, two, one, two, three, four. And I'm like, what? Oh, my God. So we start. I don't know what the song is. Never heard it in my life. And the piano player is <laughs> raging on a baby grand piano so hard that I thought the piano was just going to split in half and fall into the floor. The dude was just dominating the piano. It was so aggressive and so musical and so intense. And I was just hanging on and whatever. I get my ass handed to me. Basically, I was just like bare. I was a a little, little minnow trying to swim with gigantic sharks. (laughs) And I went up to the piano player afterwards and I said, dude, like that was fucking amazing. Who are you? He goes, oh, my name's Eric Lewis. And I go, oh, wow, cool. Like, who do you play with? He goes, I play with Elvin. And then he just left. He just oh, turned wow. around and left, and I was like, "Oh, so that's how New York is." Okay, wow, <laughs> what an introduction to a uh, a city that we all kind of hear the stories, but you're like, "Well, it won't be that bad when I get there. It'll be cool." Or on night two, it won't be very cool. Yeah, wow. I'll get eaten alive by a great white shark. I wow. absolutely love it. All right, well, we're going to get into some listener questions. Do you want to stick around or do you want to take off? I'll hang if you want. Okay, I'd love to get your perspective. Um, Eddie, did you freeze a while ago? <laughs> Yeah, Eddie's gone. Sure did. Yeah, he's it looks just... like he's pretty focused, though. 
<laughs> I was like, man, he is listening intently. Intently. <laughs> uh, all right, Carter, it's me and you checking out the listener questions. All right, let's do this. Our first question is from Jake. Hey, guys, my, my name is Jake O'Hanley. I live in North Carolina, uh, a refugee from New Jersey. Um, two questions. The first one is, how do you record your video in terms of marrying up the audio to the video? Is it done? Is everything tweaked in the audio and then it's it goes into the camera together? Or are you um, uh, recording each one separately and then marrying them up later? Uh, I've always had problems with, uh, you know, syncing up the, the, the audio and the video. So whatever you guys can share there would be great. Uh, my second question is uh, regarding... Um, my mind and my hands. Uh, you guys have talked about six-stroke rolls, and I realized there's so many variations that I could use to, you know, string together and play on different parts of the kit. And I'm, I'm finding that my I can do each each six-stroke roll, you know, no problem. But stringing them together, you know, where you're, you have to really think about it. My my hands go faster than my mind, so. I, other than repetition, I'm wondering if there's anything I can do to speed up uh, the process where my mind kind of knows what my hands are doing. Anyway, thanks a lot, guys. Love it. Hope to see you soon. Bye. All right. Well, let's get into the first question about recording video and audio together. I think you and I probably do it fairly similarly. Um, I'm assuming you're not mixing everything and sending it into that little jack on your on your camera no way yeah no way i I think we probably do it the same way i mean i set up uh, a much more budget version camera (laughs) than what you're rolling with i got my little fuji x100 which i love love it you know Um, that i'm on the x100v now right like that's all i take that's all my pictures are the x100v oh is that what you're doing yeah, that's. I mean, that's everything from the UK drum show when I saw you. Like everything has been the X100V. It's my favorite camera in the world, and it's oh, just cool. your exact camera with a slightly updated sensor. And then they cleaned up the lens a little bit at f two. It's a little sharper at f two, but oh, same nice. camera. They're incredible. They're just they are. I mean, it's, I'm sitting right here looking at. It. I just I love the thing. But okay, to to answer his question, what I do, and I'm sure it's similar to Mike. He can chime in. Um, I set up, could be one mic, could be six mics, whatever. I record all my audio for my drums with all those microphones into Luna, which is the DAW that I'm using, which I love from Universal Audio. And I will mix it down to a stereo track and dump it onto my desktop. So now I have a really clean sounding audio track on my computer. Most cameras, I would say, if not all, have a crappy microphone built into it. And you will, no matter what, get audio when you dump your video into whatever editing software you have. Now, the key is lining it up, right? So I usually do like a clap or a rim shot on the top so you can have a very distinct, clean peak. Then I go in, and Mike will probably know the shortcut code, but when you zoom in as far as you can, you think you're done. But oh, no. You can go even close. You can zoom in even closer. There's a tab I forget what it's called where you can really, really zoom in and Select line it up. audio units. There you see. I knew you would know that. And and you can just line up the waveform exactly, and then you listen to playback. It should sound dead on, and then you mute 
I typically mute, and you should if you want just a really clean sound, the audio from the camera. But sometimes the yeah. camera audio can add a cool, like crunchy, weird thing if you mix it in subtly. But I usually just kill it. Yeah, I, I, I do basically the same thing. I always hit three very slow, very loud snare hits. I'm generally recording four cameras at once. So I've got five audio tracks technically because I have each camera has its own audio. Um, and that's how I can see to where to line everything up. And then I have my Pro Tools audio or my Studio One audio, whatever DAW I'm using. So I render that down. I get I line up those three hits. And basically, I put on the timeline in Adobe Premiere, I've got my four cameras. I line those up. You can select all of them, right-click, and then choose Synchronize, and it'll just sync them all up. So I sync those all up in just a second. And then I just keep, and then I line my keeper audio from Pro Tools or wherever. I line that up to those three snare hits and then I just move it up one channel. Like I just drag it up and it replaces that audio. I drag it up again and it replaces that one and drag it up until it's the only audio left. And that's basically it. So whether you mute them or maybe you keep one of them, like Garter said, maybe your furthest camera away is getting like a cool thing. You put a compressor on it and squash it. And it's got a cool crunchy noise. That's great too. Um, but that's basically it. It So neither of us are doing the thing where we pre-mix and then feed it into the camera. That's just going to give you a pretty bad sound. Not to mention, it's set in stone with the video. So both Carter and I have the ability to record and then go into our DAW and really get the audio exactly how we want. You know, a lot of times for me, since I'm recording these long lessons, if I would have recorded straight to tape, straight into the video camera, there's times where I'm like, oh, my vocal mic was too low. So it is nice to go in there and adjust my vocal mic and get the mix exactly how I want. So to part one of your question, we do it separately and then we line them up by hitting a loud, just like you would sync a movie, that big thing that goes and action, click. That's so they can sync the audio to everything. Um, so it's the same thing for us. We're just hitting a snare hit very loud to get a giant wave peak that we can visibly see inside of our editing software as far as your second question you know stringing together rudiments i think one thing is you need to carve out time every day to be working on your hands in general and i don't think that pad work has to be anything other than a moment for you to just enjoy focusing on your hands but realizing that a six stroke roll is just a flipped around paradiddle diddle and you start to think of things not in these little finite six note chunks, but as like, well, it's probably a combination of right, left, left and right, right, left. And so just start stringing those together. And yes, sometimes they will come together to make a six stroke roll, but it could be a six stroke roll with an extra right, left, left. Well, that right, left, left, that's the variable. Do as many as you want. And so then all of a sudden it stops being this finite thing of right and wrong, yes or no. It's just flow inside the world of triplets, really. I would add one thing to that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I think is overlooked a lot because I get asked those questions a lot like, oh, what's that sticking you're using? D do a single stroke roll. As a 16th note, let's just say, right, left, right, left. Your sticking will never change. Orchestrate that around. Just start moving your hands. Start on the snare, 
Then move your right hand maybe to the floor tom and up to the rack tom. Move your left hand over to the hi-hat, left hand up to the tom. Maybe use the snare drum as like home base and start satelliting off from those things. And think not about your sticking because at that point it's kind of autopilot. There is no sticking. It's just right, left, right, left. Yeah. And think about what you want to hear musically. That will really focus your your phrasing and you'll get away from, I mean, look, everything you can distill down into a sticking. That's easy. But the most important thing that gets overlooked is what do you want to do musically and not have a sticking dictate that. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, and I think a lot of stickings came or come from, especially drum set wise, I'm not speaking just in, you know, symphonic terms or marching terms, but sometimes the sticking, if I want, you know, uh, in the world of triplets, if I want the downbeat on my floor tom and leading into that downbeat, I want a rack tom and nothing else. The six stroke roll is great to have that dip, so it's like, well, I'm not going to do that as singles and jump my hand all over the place because it makes more sense. So the stickings actually save you, they make it more ergonomic. But to, to your point, I think we do have to think of the sound before the sticking. The sticking can achieve that sound, but if we're just doing the sticking to do it because we heard it's a good one, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not discounting one side or the other. It's totally. Just if you if you can do both, if you can wrap your head around both of them, that's really ideal. But I think people jump way ahead, typically, because like, oh, that's the new thing that people are working on, or this is supposed to be tricky, so I want to tackle that. Right. Go back. And I was also going to say when I heard his question, he was saying, how can I, what can I work on to speed up? Mm. Right. The best thing you could do to speed up is slow down. hundred percent. Yeah. You just can't go from, I can't do this, but how can I get faster without going backwards? Sometimes yeah. you got to step back and see the big picture and say, okay, let's regroup. Let's not keep trying to push your head into the wall. At a certain point, yeah. it's not working. You know, well, so the other, go backwards. Yeah. To that point, too, I mean, it's pretty easy to find out how fast you are. Put on a metronome, play singles as fast as you can, play doubles as fast as you can. That's how fast you can physically play every sticking pattern on earth. Your brain is getting in the way of of anything else. As soon as you change the sticking to an inverted paradiddle and you go like, oh, these are so much harder. They are the same as a paradiddle physically. Your brain is less familiar with this pattern. So like Carter said, slow down. Give your brain some time to catch up. Weigh the scales. Well, how many single paradiddles have you played with traditional sticking versus inverted paradiddles a million to one well you probably are going to be a little bit faster at the one you're more familiar with so all the way back to what you were saying with tony it's not that he never practiced rudiments it's not that he never cared it's that he got to the point that they were so dialed in he could leave them behind and just speak and that's oh, yeah i think where we're all trying to head is like the last thing I ever want to do on the drums is like, here comes a triple Rademacue. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> like if for some weird reason, I thought the best thing to get across right now was then yeah, I'm going to drop it, but I'm never but going into it. Like, oh, let's just, let's just throw out some blazing Rademacues. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, God, I, I don't know when the last hybrid room I played in this set was here comes some Shirley Murphy's. That's, <laughs> A, is that a, a, is that a rudiment? Yeah, the Shirley Murphy. Oh, it's a killer one. It's single, God. double, triple. So one, one, two, one, two, three. One, one, two, one, two, three. Really cool little rudiment. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah. I got to check that out. Yeah, it's a cool little You know thing. what's Anyways. weird? It's, it sounds a similar thing to this exercise I was doing called the 3212. Well, is, <laughs> there you, you just, go. It's probably the same freaking thing with a different Call name. Call it the Shirley MacLaine. Oh! <laughs> that's, a, that's a new cocktail I'm going to have there to make. Go. That's good. All right. Well, we have tons more listener questions, but I feel bad doing them with Eddie still on pause. I know that he's freaking out right now. He's kicking the satellite on top of his on the top of his studio. So we're going to get out of here. Carter, thank you so, so much for joining us, brother. Good uh, to thank have you guys here. for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah, man. And uh, it was good to see you at the UK drum show. And it was really good to see people walking out of your clinic, just shaking their heads. I was oh, like, I didn't oh, get did to you see sleep that, Carter's but... clinic? And they were just like, I don't, I don't know my name. And I'm like, yep, there you go. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. Dude, I did you did you hear Eddie explaining it in his clinic? Uh, no. Oh, so so good. He literally like sh- he was like, and then he took his watch off, and then he unbuttoned a shirt, and it was the most effing gangster thing I've ever seen in my life. And this was like in his education room, um, oh and it was just God. it was all about the pure swagger and confidence of Carter McLean. So, buddy, I love you. We will see you soon. For everyone that's listening, if you want to help support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com forward slash drum with Mike and Eddie. The link is in the description below. That is how we stay ad free. We appreciate you. But for now, episode 85 is in the can. Mm-hmm.